Ugh, episode four, Blackbeard's here. Finally! Emily and I recorded all of these back in... Dang, I don't even know what day it is now. But we we recorded all of these back before the announcement of the season two renewal. So it was at least before that, I guess. Uh, but it's been so fun going back through and editing these and getting them ready to put up and hearing how much she enjoyed the series. So, you know, it's just, it's just a nice feeling to have is all. Well, I won't keep you too long. We'll put all the business at the end of the podcast. So for now, I guess make sure you have a drink and something snacky to snack on and uh, enjoy this episode. Take it away, theme song. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to My Sister Made Me View It, Miscellaneous, currently covering Our Flag Means Death on HBO Max. My name is Megan, and I should be cooking my dinner. My name is Emily, and I should be writing on my book. But instead... Instead... We're making a podcast! We're making a podcast! This episode, we are covering episode four, Discomfort in a Married State, directed by Nacho Vigalando, written by David Jenkins. In this episode, two pirates meet, music plays, and adventures commence. Emily, can I have your first impressions of this episode? Oh my gosh. If Taika Waititi ever decides that he's going to be a singer or a musician of any kind, I'm in so much trouble. The warmth and emotion in his eyes is just incredible. So you asked me as we were watching if he grew out his beard or if it was makeup. That is a prosthetic. Uh, he's mentioned in interviews that it was difficult because it's it's like a pretty stiff prosthetic and it covers most of his face. Um, and it was difficult to do a lot of acting in the lower half. Well, good thing this man is a master of eye acting because, mm-hmm. listen, the first time I got this episode, I had butterflies of just watching him watch Steed. <laughs> I loved the camera work when he's just up on the deck and the camera zooms up on him mm-hmm. because we've waited three episodes to really yeah. like get Captain Blackbeard and all of a sudden we are getting Captain Blackbeard. When he's standing at the prow and like the crane move up and over and, and there he is. Oh, there he is. Speaking of camera work, I want to talk about this introduction. Awesome. So it's, it's great. I knew you were going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. It starts with a bit of a, a split screen where Mary is seated on a bench and she is looking to screen right where her mom is seated. We have this conversation. So I have to marry a stranger. Camera slides over. So mom is now on the left side of the screen and we're getting a split screen with Steed in the carriage. And so as Mary is talking to her mom about how they're marrying for money, Steed is in a carriage talking to his father about how peasants marry for love. Mary has acreage. She has land. And so this is an arranged marriage. And I love the way they play with screen left and screen right. Because it is set up in this sequence that Mary is talking to someone 
on the right side of the screen, and Steed is talking to someone on the left side of the screen. So when we cut to Steed in the room with Mary for the first time, he says, I'm Steed, by the way. He's looking straight ahead, but a little to the left. So if we're thinking about, I'm sorry, you guys, to start with something technical up at the front, but this is one of my favorite camera moments <laughs> of the whole show. The camera is set up so it looks like Steed is talking still to someone on the left because that is how it was headed before. And he says, I'm Steed, by the way. We cut to Mary, same spot, same bench, looking to the right-hand side. And she says, I know, Mary. And it's set up that they are in the same positions in which the episode started. But then we cut to a wide when Steed touches her shoulder and we realize that they are posing for a painting and they are looking in completely opposite directions of each other. They are just, listen, it's the title of the episode, Discomfort in a Married State from the very beginning. There's no meet cute. There's no charm. There's nothing that draws them together. And they are looking for different things in life. Ugh. It's just gotta be so rough. Because I thought, the way I thought this was going to go down is that they would never talk about it. That they each of them would just be disappointed and just muster on. But they have very frank conversations with each other. Mary is the one who Mary. comes and just says, I know you're unhappy. I'm unhappy. But we only have one life. Let's do the best we can. I just... I liked that they addressed it, that it wasn't just both of them trying to pretend that nothing had happened. Yeah. And what's so sad is that, like, clearly years had gone by because this is the last thing Mary said to him before he ran away from home. But that while, yes, she is earnest and she's outreaching and she's trying to talk it through as a crew, he ignores her. He pretends to be asleep and he leaves because instead of working with her, if it's not perfect, Steed doesn't want it and he leaves. So he he didn't want to work towards something. He just is like, I'm just going to stop being a married man and I'll instantly start being a pirate. Their wedding was in Barbados because they both were born and grew up in the English colony uh, in Barbados. And it is on their tombstones. Which they get as a wedding present. <laughs> From Steed's mom. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but Megan, you said look for a black ribbon and she's wearing one around her neck. So she's wearing one that's tied into her hat. Um, But I'm looking more for that black tie that Steed had over his cravat, which his dad oh, is okay. wearing in this scene. But. When Steed and Blackbeard swap clothes later in the episode, one of the things they swap is this little, this small black scarf. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're told to, as they're getting married by this priest who's saying, you're going to be together for eternity. Um, they're by a lighthouse and they're told to be like the lighthouse. And, you know, that's what you need to be for each other. Sort of a thing, and that's gonna that's gonna come into play in a in a moment. But um, we get a little bit more background about Steed and what kind of dad he was. Where the kids are running around yelling, and and Mary is finally just like, "Can you please go play with your kids, but do not play pirates because they will have nightmares." 
And the first thing Steve does is go play pirates with the kids who apparently love it. And then it ends up to be his nightmare. Yeah, because he's pretending to, you know, have been captured by his his son and his little girl standing over him, just being like, no mercy. And she goes to stab him. And we immediately flip back to the previous episode where Steed is physically, literally stabbed by the Spanish with a dub over of the little girl saying, that's what we do to pirates. And again, when she hits him with the toy sword, we get the extreme metallic stabbing noise. Even though it's just a, a wooden sword and shouldn't be able to make that, make that noise. But it's back. It's part of the sound design. And then the uh, Spanish guy whispers in his ear in the voice of his daughter, that's how we treat pirates. Yeah. We see Steed recovering in his captain's bed. He looks awful. Props to the makeup team. Through this whole episode, he is sweaty with, like, bruised bags under his eyes and pale. (laughs) Oh, I see pale. (laughs) But then a puff of smoke, a puff of smoke breathes into frame and And I'm going, secondhand smoke, secondhand smoke, don't smoke in hospitals. (laughs) And Blackbeard is just seated by the side of the bed, intently staring. Uh, so, do you have a notebook with you? You don't have, you're not taking notes for I the don't. show, are you? All right. Well, if you were, no. this would be fanfic trope number one. <laughs> <laughs> dramatic, let's see, uh, vigil by the bedside dur- after a dramatic injury. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. I would like to rename this episode Fanfic Island. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, oh, okay. I was going to ask you, what's the practical title card this round? Oh, it is a shot straight down of the floor of like a a carpet in front of the fire with kids' toys spelling out our flag means death. But they, we go out to the ship, which is where we get my favorite shot of the whole episode, the shot of. Blackbeard on the prow staring out into the distance. I was just like, I'll frame that. I'm going to frame that and put that in my house. <laughs> I'll paint I'll paint you it. <laughs> Thank you. I love, okay, maybe I'm jumping ahead or I don't know if you were going to talk about this. I love Blackbeard's outfit. I love it. It's punk. It's rock. It's pirate. It's everything it has all these belts and every it's just i don't know when when you think pirate i think at least for me i'm thinking mm-hmm. kind of what all the rest of the crew is wearing Steve's like crew, a, yeah. a open vest open open shirt flappy loose pants maybe barefoot or whatever but he's he looks like a a video game character ready to go into battle yeah. <laughs> i just because... really liked it Black leather in the summer on the sea in the Caribbean, you're going to get splashed by water. There's going to be like sand, all this sort of stuff. Like Blackbeard's crew is dressed for rule of cool. Like they are all the ultimate awesomest outfits you can possibly imagine that aren't functional like at all. But yeah, Blackbeard's outfit is, uh, like you said, it's a shout out to rock stars. It's a, it's a shout out to Mad Max. And my favorite aspect of it is every once in a while when the shirt rides up and we see a little tummy. Oh, oh, we just, we're watching on one of our other channels. We're watching the 1999 Roswell, which is a CWWB show. 
we didn't talk about it in the episode we just recorded, but there was a, a, a teenage kid is getting ready to go to bed. And this actor is just supremely muscularly jacked. And you know what? Yeah. Call me basic. I like a soft tummy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he's got one sleeve of leather and then like one sleeve open so you can see his tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) He's got the biker uh, gloves on where the fingers are cut out. Hey, Emily. Yeah. Good notice on the gloves. Okay. There's a there may be some glove symbolism of touch versus barrier that maybe we'll talk about in costume designs down the road. Alright, alright. Uh something that I'd like to point out in this episode as well, Blackbeard has fingerless gloves. Izzy hand wears one black glove over his right hand and then his other hand is bare. And that's not rule of cool, that's something No, I think I think that is rule of cool. That is rule of cool, but from a and I don't know that this is intentional, but if I were going in for a symbolic read of this, Izzy sees himself as Blackbeard's right hand man, and that is a sacred and a special thing to Izzy to be that person. Mm-hmm. And I the rest of Izzy's costume is symmetrically put together mm-hmm. but i feel by having one glove on and one glove off it mirrors the asymmetry of blackbeard's costume in like a subtle way because he sees himself completely as blackbeard's man that's really cool that's really cool costume designer i don't know if this was actually your intention but i like reading stuff into things and i'm reading this <laughs> <laughs> um Izzy and Blackbeard are looking at clouds and Blackbeard is saying, don't you think they look like, you know, Frankfurters or sausages? And and Izzy just does not want to play along. And finally he does. And, and all of these things. And and you can just tell that there's some tension between these two guys, even though Izzy is supposed to be the right hand guy and Blackbeard. I, I thought they did such a good job because throughout this episode, we find out that Blackbeard is very bored of what he does. And he just feels like he's going through the motions that they're going to do the same thing and come up with a plan and barely escape and then come up with a plan and barely escape. Like to him, it's just very, very monotonous. And I love that so early in this episode, we start seeing that coming through. Mm-hmm. Even in the previous episode of, hey, there's this gentleman pirate. I've never heard of that before. Go yeah. find out more about him. I thought that was a really great way to set up this this character. Yeah, and while it's not the exact same situation as Steed and Mary, I think this job, uh, sorry, I think this episode does an excellent job of showing two partnerships that are dysfunctional for different reasons. Um, Where Steed and Mary never had anything significant from the start and they were thrown together. Um, Ed and Izzy have this history, but they're at the point where it's starting to wear thin. Um. And yeah. so I'm going to I'm going to throw in an analogy here and say Mary is to Steed as Izzy is to Ed. I like that. Thank you. Um, the, you can see this particularly mirrored in both scenes where the couples talk about the model ship. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get to we'll get to that in a second. Hey, remember in episode one when Steed says piracy is a culture of abuse? Mm hmm. And they're for like a cycle. When we see Izzy on the boat at the end of episode two and he grabs Fang by the beard 
And he's like, no one asked you to think. And he like casts him off. And you can hear Fang saying, that really hurt whenever he does that. We see in this episode, we see uh, uh, Fang smack, well, I think Ivan smacks uh, Black Pete up the back of the head. With a fist. He takes a fist to the back of his head. And we see that the violence from the leadership trickles down into the crew, but it's it's the cycle of abuse that Steed is trying to break, and we see that it is the language of power on Blackbeard's ship, but that it's not working on Steed's crew, because, like, later when Izzy comes by and he's like, what are you doing? And they're like, we're eating, and he's he yells and he screams at them, but he leaves and they just go back to what they're doing because... The language of fear and pain isn't what they speak anymore because of Steve. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, listeners. Get ready for heavy projection in this episode. <laughs> it's our podcast. We can say whatever we want. <laughs> yeah. It's my podcast and mom says I get to decide the symbolism. <laughs> Blackbeard's kind of going around meeting everyone. I was disappointed that, well, maybe not disappointed. I was surprised that Blackbeard didn't see Black Pete and say anything. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe it's just because Blackbeard goes through so many crew members or or whatever. But I was a little disappointed for Pete that he didn't get the recognition that he, I don't even know if he was hoping for it, but but he's talking about Blackbeard, about wonder what he's talking about because he's the greatest you know he's the greatest strategist in the world yeah yeah i have something to say about that i have something to contribute shocker so (laughs) when steed first wakes up the first thing he says when he comes to lucidity is my crew he's worried about his men i was yes i loved that and in the scene where Izzy is yelling at Ed about, like, the losses we took, like, we lost several men when we attacked the Spanish ship, Ed says, well, yeah, that's what they do. They're pirates. And I think it indicates that aside from Izzy, he has no consideration for anyone else in his immediate circle, which is probably mm-hmm. one of the reasons why... Izzy feels so strongly about being Blackbeard's right-hand man is he's the only person that Blackbeard recognizes and esteems, and that's deeply important to him, which is probably why Blackbeard's fascination in Steed Bonnet is driving Izzy up the wall. Mm-hmm. Because he really is fascinated by everything. He's poking around the ship, and he's not paying attention to the matter at hand, and it is driving Izzy nuts. Mm-hmm. Because Izzy is thinking ahead. He's going, we're being chased by Spaniards. We need to figure this out. And Blackbeard is just looking through treasure chests and opening up curio cabinets. And 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 finally, when, when Izzy's nattering gets to be too much, we see more of that. Oh, we always have to do this. I'm bored of doing this. Is this all there is? <laughs> and Izzy does not get it at all. He's just like, yeah, you have stuff to do, man. You have more important things to do than be bored. So that was the scene. As I was watching it, I was like, Emily has to watch this show. Because the moment where 
Blackbeard's going through the cabinet and he's, he's like, Ed, focus. And he says, I am focusing. I am focusing. I'm like, it's me and Emily. Get off of Twitter. I'm listening to you. No, you're not. You're on Twitter. <laughs> um, Real quick rewind, because Blackbeard does a almost like a publicity round on the ship where he's shaking hands and meeting everyone like a celebrity and buttons has a seagull on his forehead. It is important (laughs) that you know that Carl the bird is a real seagull trained. Oh, I actually was wondering that if that was CGI or not. And I'm going, they're spending CGI on some weird stuff, but (laughs) Carl the bird is a real seagull. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's talk about how do you no? how do you okay I understand in Hollywood there are animal actors (laughs) and I'm sure dogs and cats are easy to find raccoons might be a little more how in the world do you go about looking for a trained seagull is that something that they had to train specifically for this show or was that a service that was already offered my guess would be there are trained animal actor seagulls like I can imagine and again I I don't have much knowledge of the fact because I come from a background in animation um but I know that there are companies that specialize in animal actors or because Mm -hmm. I mean you need goals for other shows and you can't just use stock footage of nature am I right am I right and so yeah the All I know about animal training in movies uh, is from watching the commentary track on the first Princess Diaries film, where they talk about how they had to find three different cats with similar markings to play Louie, because Mia's cat, because one cat was trained to walk to a specific spot. One cat was trained to stay in one spot. And then one cat was one that you could pick up and handle as an actor. So, oh, cool. Yeah, they had to, they, they have animals that are trained for very specific behaviors. In Carl's case, staying still. Carl's the butterfly. Well, because I bring that up, I bring that up because in Emma Thompson's Sense and Sensibility, she talks about in the beginning, she wanted to show the hunting accident that kind of started the whole thing that, that causes the death of, of uh-huh. the main. So, talking to the director angley about the logistics of this he's going well we'll have to train dogs and we'll have to train the horses or we'll have to train the deer and and everything and and just <laughs> i don't know her exact words but emma thompson shortly realized you could have it could happen off screen it was fine to happen off screen <laughs> uh a similar budgetary and time-saving decision was made for season one of game of thrones in which they decided to excise the scene in which king robert is injured in a hunting accident hunting is expensive so while blackbeard is being bored and izzy's trying to rein him in and steed is still drifting in and out of consciousness the our crew of the revenge uh has been put to work repairing the ship but they are Frenchie has a beautiful moment, a beautiful, wonderful moment where he, he's nailing something to together and he nails the inside of his jacket cuff along with it and just takes his coat off rather than try and free himself. Just I thought that was great. The B plot running. OK, so 
Maybe it's the C plot. We'll just call it the crew plot. The crew plot of this episode is <laughs> the other pirates are trying to figure out how to talk to Jim now that the disguise has been revealed. And I think this episode is the Swede's time to shine. We haven't seen a lot of Swede yet, I... and he has some great scenes. I just loved his cadence mm -hmm. because he talks and everything goes up. And I I love the characterization they brought to all of these different people. Mm -hmm. I was actually really thinking about their costumes as well when they were all lined up to shake Steed's hand, that there's recognizable color mm -hmm. blocking on each character that I really love. Mm -hmm. Um, because Blackbeard's team are divided by aesthetic and texture, but they're all within the same color thing. But then you have, you know, Frenchie's outfit with the purple shirt, green scarf, black stripes, or like Lucia's outfit with the red, or the Swede with the, the orangish and the blue. And it's like, they each have a very distinctive color blocking that's individualized to each of them. And Steed doesn't even have a main costume because we see Steed in something different in absolutely every single episode. I love that. I he love has an aesthetic. Too. He has an aesthetic. I want to jump to the anniversary dream that Steed has where he receives okay. the painting from Mary. Yes. Um, so this is a very sad scene to me. Like, Mary uh -huh. has put so much work into this painting and she tried to make it something significant for him for their anniversary. Mm -hmm. And he just, it goes right over his head. Yeah. <laughs> Did the children do it? Wow, they're good. <laughs> yeah. It's like a geometric uh, painting of the lighthouse and, and you can tell her feelings are really hurt that she has to be like, no, that was, that, this is, this was me. And I did it because of when we got married, there was a... The, the lighthouse. Lighthouse. Yes. There was a lighthouse. Yes. <laughs> hey, can I tell you about the time my lighthouse painting was stolen, literally stolen and entered into an art competition? What? So in my sixth grade art class, one of the art assignments was to paint a lighthouse. And I poured so much time into mine. And... It was, it was cursed because the first time I painted it, uh, it disappeared. And the second time I painted it, I put the darkest yellow right next to the lighthouse itself. And I faded it out to be like light in the distance. Like it was a lighthouse at night. And I was spending hours on this. Like after school, I would go and paint on this lighthouse. And then my, my teacher said, oh, actually, um, you've put the light in the wrong spot. It would be the brightest white next to the bulb itself and fade off to yellow at the end. And I was like, ah, and it was watercolor. So I had to start over. So like I ended up painting this lighthouse three or four different times. And I had my final one that I wanted to turn in and it vanished out of the art room. And a few weeks later, we had our art show I entered, I ended up making another painting of a, of a, like an underwater scene with like fish, seaweed, all this sort of stuff. And the fish didn't win any prizes, but a dude in my class, never forgiven you, stole my lighthouse painting, entered it under his own name and won second place. And I was, I was livid. I ripped it off the wall went to tell my art teacher to be like hey that's my lighthouse and you know because you helped me with it and uh i think the kid got in trouble i never heard any follow-up to it but hate that guy you won second place literally you did, I did. so good job me good for you
Paint your own paintings, man. (laughs) From a young age, you got a taste of what your life was going to be like. Oh my gosh, someone plagiarized my Wicked boards and got like 40,000 followers for it. Oh. And somebody plagiarized, a couple people plagiarized my Hamilton boards as well. They literally just uploaded it to their own channels and be like i made this i worked really hard on it and i i found it and i went through every single comment and replied they didn't make this i made this they stole it you can see the original here you can see the time date here you can see lin-manuel miranda talk about my boards here and they ended up deleting (laughs) their account and i'm like yeah i hate art theft there's like been several big projects that i haven't even been putting stuff online for because i'm like i hate it people just steal it if you want to see my art, Aww. you can hang out with me at the Renaissance Fair and I'll show you on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> the way the artist intended. <laughs> but anyway, so so this this story with Steed and Mary, it's like the exact opposite of that Gifts of the Magi story. <laughs> I, Megan, I was just... <laughs> Each uh, person in the couple gives up their greatest treasure to get something that their partner will love. Um, And instead, Mary developed a new talent to paint this. And Steed's present was not about Mary at all. Steed's present was about Steed. He gives her a model of a boat and says, hey, what do you think about going to live on the sea? You, me, and the kids. It'll be great. It'll be fantastic. Not taking into account his wife hates the ocean. And that is no place to raise kids. You know I hate the ocean? What? I said so just the other day. What? When? When we were by the ocean! I don't want a boat, Steed! (laughs) (laughs) It's... Okay, the actress who plays Mary does this scene gorgeous because she is trying Mm -hmm. at the beginning to be excited and to be happy and you can just see it's uh claudia i'm so sorry o apostrophe d-o-h-e-t-r-y claudio dare treat i'm 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 not i don't i'm sorry claudia but anyway uh she (laughs) is in a new hulu series i think um, about mm-hmm. python hunters in florida so check her out in that project as well but anyway her emotional turns in these is just great because at this point she is trying like i don't think she's tried their whole mm-hmm. their whole marriage but i feel at this point she really is working on it and i i think the speech she gives him in bed is based on the stuff that was uncovered during this conversation because she finds out Steed thinks their life is monotonous, which parallels to Izzy finding out Blackbeard thinks their life is boring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that they didn't play her off as this shrew wife as being this, because I thought that's kind of what she was from the first episode. Me too. Because, Because, you know, they're sitting so far apart and she's, dismissive of his ideas and only talking to the kids and so i was i was kind of like okay we're gonna get this again whatever but i love the depth that adds to one her character Mm -hmm. and two steed's decision to leave when she's clearly willing to maybe not go live on a boat but try and she's not just yelling at him and belittling him all the time and that's why he left but i wonder if that's 
what he's been telling himself. Yeah, that it's it's a, a matter of perspective, again, that he saw his life a specific way. And, and I think it's to trick the audience as well that pilot episode, oh, look at Steve, my poor little meow meow. His wife never loved him and his kids even hate his guts. Of course he ran away to sea, of course. And now in this episode, we find out he spent enough time and money. He didn't just buy a boat. Emily, he designed and commissioned this boat himself. So yeah. he could put yeah. his secret passages. Um, <laughs> and that his kids obviously love him. And he's he's just left everything because he's just so intent on the idea of becoming a pirate. Hey, Emily, would you like to be a little sad? No, I never want to be a little sad. You know me. Are you going to do it anyway? I might. Why do you think Steed had a book of children's fairy tales on his ship library? Because that was a memento he took to remember his kids by. Because he commissioned this boat for his wife and family to live on board. Yeah. That's why. Sad. That's why the cabin is so nice. That's why this boat, I feel, is so fanciful. As he's like, oh, yeah. This will be the perfect life for us on the ocean. Again, just designing things from his perspective and not giving a thought as to how it would actually affect the people around him. Which, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a connection between Steed and Blackbeard at this point in time is we've noticed that Steed is kind of oblivious to everyone around him. That he's in his own little fantasy world. And Mm -hmm. Ed kind of has the opposite problem that he is smarter, faster, like cleverer than everyone around him. And so Steve, uh, Ed feels like he has no equal, that he has no one to talk to because he is at the top of this very violent, unfeeling pirate hierarchy. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're, they're Which men Which is hard who are, to get to. Yeah, they're men who are isolated in their own societies for different things. And I do want to take a step back because I think in the first, in our first episode, I was talking about how, oh yeah, Steed is the perfect idea of an English gentleman when it's very clear that Steed was also ostracized by other English gentlemen in his peerage, right? Like mm-hmm. he's not shown to have any friends back home. Um, and that growing up, the big, strong, tough guys were cruel to him and, like, his father was cruel to him. And so, not to say that he's, you know, uh, not to say that he's not masculine according to the time, but he's not the level of cruelty that was expected either. So anyway, that's mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for letting me talk for ten minutes. You're welcome. You're a part of this podcast, too. I am big part i made you view it (laughs) also another parallel i want to point out is when izzy's like we're gonna die and blackbeard goes oh i haven't tried that and and that seems to pique his interest yeah and it made me think of the moment where Olu asks Steed in the pilot, do you want to live? And Steed says, I think so. Probably. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, uh, mm-hmm. you should be enthusiastic and happy about living your life. Mm-hmm. 
But it also yeah. gives me Peter yeah. Pan vibes, you know, the bit where Peter is like, to die would be a very big adventure. It's like, okay, man, calm down. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. You calm down. <laughs> you calm down, David. Oh my gosh. Sorry, I'm seeing this really great detail in Blackbeard's costume I haven't noticed. He has shark teeth embedded over his left shoulder. They're, they're leather I wondered what that it. was. They're shark teeth. That's cool. That is cool. Anyway, poor Izzy. Izzy's having a hard time this episode. Yeah, 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 he is. Because no one's taking him seriously. Yeah. And this is his job. He knows how to do his job and no one's listening to him. Although Buttons is helpful. Buttons points out that there are Spanish ships coming on the horizon. (laughs) Yeah. And so now Izzy's just like, okay, we really have to do something about this. Ed is watching over his sleeping steed, and Lucius bursts in to be like, okay, Captain, we got something. And then he notices Blackbeard watching steed, who's muttering about Mary in his sleep. And Blackbeard's like, who is this Mary? But, Evelyn, what does Blackbeard ask Lucius to do? He wants him to count down an hour and 47 minutes, and then come tell him when that is done. No. And I love the ticking clock. It's not a trope, but the ticking clock for any good movie or book, you know, with a heist or anything like that. Mm -hmm. There is a deadline and there is our constant reminders of, you know, that it's happening, that sort of thing. And I really liked this. I thought at first he was just doing it to get Lucius out. Get rid of him. Just to kind of be like, here, here's a stick. Here's a stick. Go get the stick. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Speaking of counting down, if you keep an eye on Lucius and all of the other scenes, no matter what's happening, he is still counting. He's either mouthing or he's like literally ticking down on his fingers. So they, he actually counted an hour and 47 minutes and he'll come back at the, uh, at a bit in the episode. We'll talk about that later, but it is time for Steed to wake up. The wake up scene. Ah, uh, the wake. And up like scene. you said, the the very first thing he does is he asks about his crew, and I love that. Fan fiction trope number two: mistaken identity. He says, <laughs> oh, "Do yeah. you work for Blackbeard?" And Ed opens his mouth for a second and then goes, "Huh." And for this is a chance for Ed to not be a celebrity because we saw up top how everyone was like stammering over themselves to talk to him. Um, And Ed recognizes a moment just for a bit where I can talk to somebody who doesn't know who I am. I can be Mm -hmm. myself. And he introduces himself as Ed. Now the only other person who calls him that is Izzy. Mm -hmm. And so this is, this is clearly a high level of, of familiarity. But also, I love, I forgot, I can't believe I didn't mention this, the moment when Ed puts his hand on Steed's hand and Steed wakes up and mm-hmm. he just pulls away. It's a good shot. I love a dramatic hand <laughs> touch in a period film. <laughs> uh, Steed survived being stabbed in the stomach. But he's still, he's doing good acting because, yeah. listen, you get any sort of injury or stabbing to your abdomen. Mm-hmm. Stabdomen. This is speaking from this is speaking from personal experience. I was not stabbed. <laughs> I was like, when were you stabbed? No. <laughs> it's when I had surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh I had a tumor. I had to get a tumor yanked out of me. And 
you you just don't realize like you you know how yeah you know that your abdomen your stomach muscles are connected to so many things but you don't realize how many things they're connected to and so i i thought that his um his acting was great yes because even something just as innocuous sometimes is turning if you turn wrong and you're not quite healed up yet it's it's pretty it's pretty tender yeah yeah um i also want to extend some of the fairy tale logic to this scene because you don't you don't survive that kind of injury irl not at sea not at sea yeah not at probably not in real life either you know so well maybe in real life if you have some really good doctors but i mean if if any bit of your digestive system is perforated that's a problem i mean stomach you've got acid intestines you've got processed food and all kinds of horrible bacteria and there's so much intestines <laughs> there's, just, there's too many honestly there's too much intestine in a person uh, the actual most painful part of my recovery mm-hmm. is when my intestines finally fell back into place <gasps> And you could feel, I just felt everything shift. (laughs) So, intestines are very specifically coiled up in your body. And they, Mm -hmm. they have not necessarily muscle memory, but they, like you said, they slide back into their place eventually when they are displaced. Mm -hmm. So there are certain surgeries in which the intestinal system has to be removed. Like if you're running the bowel to check for obstructions or just, you know, other things that general surgeons are doing down in there. And um, they will take out your whole intestinal system and place it on a table, string it and stuff, and they'll run it back in. And like you said, eventually your intestines will slurp back and return to their original factory settings. <laughs> Horrible. The human body is a miracle. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Steed gets back into his battle jacket. He's sitting up. He's at least got a shirt on. He's got a robe on. And they're, they're talking about how Blackbeard is considering, I'm sorry, Ed is considering retirement. Or no, he's, he's thinking about packing it all in. So, he doesn't find out what retirement is until later. He's honestly talking about, I'm thinking about just giving up. And Emily, what does he pick up off the table? He picks up, I'm assuming it's like a pashmina or something, mm-hmm. but it's it's decorative. And he goes, oh, is this silk? And I love this line. And, and Steve goes, no, it's actually a rather exquisite cashmere. And Blackbeard repeats it. And a rather exquisite cashmere. And he runs it over his face. And I think Steed all of a sudden is seen. He's like, oh. Uh, uh, you know, a similar a soul, you know, and and they start. Do you fancy fine fabric? And I just I love seeing this softer side of Blackbeard because we've heard the man, the myth, the legend, everything, and and to see him in not his element because his ready room, I guess that's what you mm-hmm. want to call it, on his ship is full of souvenirs but there's like animal skins on the walls and everything's dark and there's nothing i'm gonna say there's nothing nice in there yeah again i don't know if that is there's nothing soft or comforting there may be gold and jewels right there's nothing yeah 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 and so him giving himself that little bit of time to experience something new i think is very intriguing to him so when 
Blackbeard touches his face with this cashmere, a well, this this particular piece of classical music starts playing called Nacien Number no. Five. Da 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 da. And this uh, classical piece plays again at the end of the episode when they are sharing breakfast, when they're sharing the marmalade. Mm-hmm. And it will be a recurrent theme through the series, so please keep an ear out for. Okay. I learned it on the piano after the show came out. I got the, I got the sheet music. <laughs> That's fun. But then when Steed says, "Do you fancy a fine fabric?" Blackbeard, yeah, yeah, I think I do. Steed says, "Can you keep a secret?" Emily, what's he's the so secret? trusting. He. I'm not going to call him an idiot. I'm not going to. But but immediately, he's so excited to have someone to share this with that he shares a big secret. He has a secret passage. He says he's, he built them into the, the plans. And it's where he keeps his secondary wardrobe, his backup wardrobe. And I loved the dichotomy of here's Blackbird in tattoos and leather and, you know, gritty and he's running his hands on like the summer linens and you can just kind of see on his face like i didn't know this was a thing you know because that's not his world yeah his world is you you get fine things in order to sell them for profit right pirateering is yeah about, you don't finish what you were gonna say you don't keep them yeah that's all you don't keep them you don't get to keep your fine things you just have to throw them overboard i guess no you have to sell them for money <laughs> but just uh there's one particular shot of blackbeard just looking up and around like almost like he's overwhelmed with everything that's in this room and it's interesting mm-hmm. to see the level of enthusiasm and acceptance from blackbeard because everyone ed has shown his things to has derided them or like scoffed even the crew is like mm-hmm. Yeah, what do we care about a library? Or or Nigel Badminton talking about how this cabin is such a waste of space. This library is stupid. And Blackbeard is like, listen, it's insane, but I like it. And mm-hmm. uh, there's just there's just something about this instant camaraderie between these two men, the way that they're connecting uh, in this moment over this stuff. And then... Izzy comes in looking for Ed, which he only Mm -hmm. calls Blackbeard when they're alone. He doesn't call him that in front of everyone else. It's something special. It's something important. But anyway, uh, Steed says, this is where is that? Yeah. Steed says, is that Blackbeard? And what does Ed say? He says, no, I'm Blackbeard. And the shock, the look on Steed's face is just like, he he's beyond shocked. Like he, he <laughs> yeah. probably should sit down at this point. <laughs> and then just the smile. And again, we talked about how the the beard prosthetic is pretty restrictive. The the eye acting, just the little because he grin just that he doesn't like back. yeah. He just slowly turns with the smile on his face. Like didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> 
But even though Steed knows now, that doesn't change the way he talks to him through the rest of the episode. That even though now mm-hmm. Steed knows who it is, he still first and foremost calls him Ed, even in front of the other crewmen, even in front of Izzy, which I think someone will be unhappy about. <laughs> I know we've been talking about Ed and Steed for a while, so let's talk a little bit about the crew eating lunch together <laughs> and talking to and Jim. Izzy being real mad about it so- <laughs> because. You, you'd said this before, you know, that, that he's like, what are you doing? You can't do this. Ah! And then he leaves and the crew's kind of been sitting there in fear. And then he leaves and they immediately lean in and just continue on the conversation they've been having. Like it never happened because they don't respect Izzy. He's not part of this world that they're in. He's not part of their conversation anymore. So they're worried. Um, They're worried about the possibility that, uh, they're worried that if Jim were a woman, they'd be bringing bad luck on board, which Frenchie talks about scientifically. Emily, what is the scientific proof that Frenchie brings? Oh, um, because everyone knows that women have crystals in their bodies. We grow them. And the crystals is what attracts the demons. And then the and, d- and that's what brings the bad luck. The misfortune. And, and the other crewmen are yeah. nodding like, yeah, actually, yeah. Frenchie knows what he's talking about. Jim threatens Frenchie with a dagger to the throat. And says, I'm only going to say this once. And he's like, once is fine. <laughs> but we, we decide to simplify this down. Everyone knows them as Jim. We're going to keep going by Jim for uh, the remainder of this. Uh, nothing's mm-hmm. changed except I don't have the beard. And my my nose is different. And I can speak now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but the we forget the Swede wanted to know if they were going to go by Jim or not because if they weren't, he wanted to go by Jim. If you aren't going to be Jim anymore, can I be Jim? <laughs> um, I think if I were to casual cosplay anyone on the ship, I would dress up as the Swede. Just piece <laughs> of rope, bandana, the shirt. Yep. Yep. Um we get some more conversations with steed and blackbeard and you know talking about the library and talking about how cool everything he has and all of those things and he's like oh look at this book and it's a it's a book with a woodcut of blackbeard in it and instead of that bringing pride and joy to blackbeard he gets really frustrated and starts explaining they just think i'm like i'm at this point blackbeard is larger than life because the ship shows up, the people realize it's Blackbeard, they don't even fight, they just surrender. And so kind of the joy of being a pirate has been extinguished. Um, and that's when Steed brings up a very interesting uh, a very interesting thing. And it's called retirement. And Blackbeard is befuddled. And he says, oh yeah, it's where, it's where you just, you choose to stop working and you live a life of leisure. Uh... There is a trade-off here where Blackbeard is talking and saying something sincere about, I feel like I'm treading water and I'm just waiting to drown. Have you ever felt that? And Steed is about to open up emotionally like Olu was back in episode one. Um, But then Blackbeard cuts him off and keeps talking. And I, I think that's, I feel like that's a bit of a moment for Steed to be like, oh, you should listen. Oh, 
You should listen to people when they talk. We'll see if that if that's reflected <laughs> in a change in attitude further on. But yeah, yeah, Blackbird says he doesn't even need to be on the ship to win anymore. People just have to see his flag and they run away. Kiss his flag and and, death. and he's talking about how disillusioned he is and, and just being Blackbeard just isn't what it used to be. And and Steed lets a little bit of his hero worship come out. An appropriate amount. There are inappropriate yeah. hero worship moments, you know, but but this one is appropriate. He's like, oh, if I could just be Blackbeard. Just for, he says either a little bit or just for one day. Mm-hmm. And Blackbeard gets an idea. Yeah. They're both very admirative of each other in this scene. Um, mm-hmm. Because Blackbeard's like, I can't believe someone's doing something original. <laughs> Open fire on a wooden vessel surrounded by bits of paper. <laughs> Two chandeliers. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's like, I can't believe you're doing something original. And Seed says, yeah, but I wish I could be as great as you. <laughs> Blackbeard says, do you want to do something weird? What do they do? <laughs> oh, that line. That line. I love instead of being like, hey, I have an idea. It's like, do you want to do something weird? And like when someone says that, you have to say yes. Yeah. Blackbeard comes out onto the deck dressed in silk pants and a white tasseled shirt. And he does the whole introduction that that Steed had asked Lucius to do when they were at the Republic of Pirate Republic or whatever. And and Steed comes out just giddy because he's wearing Blackbeard's getup and Blackbeard has everyone come meet Steed as Blackbeard. He's like, line up, line up, line up. There's, there's a moment of dead silence before Blackbeard goes, clap. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the only reason anyone's doing this is, again, because of fear of threat from Blackbeard. But, uh, Black Pete. <laughs> and while everyone is lining up in a reception for the captain, uh, Izzy and Ed have a little aside. And this is when we find out that we lost several pirates uh, taking this, the Spanish ship and Blackbeard doesn't care. And it's he has a way of just zoning out of a conversation that listen, sometimes though, it feels annoying to talk to people that don't understand my life or what I'm doing. And I get bored and I zone out of the conversation. <laughs> one of my favorite jokes of the episode is you know izzy's giving this dramatic heartfelt speech about i've done everything for you i put up with so much from you because of how honored i am to work for the legendary blackbeard and just stone face points off screen and goes that's blackbeard <laughs> we got to see shaking hands with everyone i'm steed remember so izzy screams at him gives him a double bird salute and says this is my resignation you know i'm gonna get it i'm going to get us out of this me and then i'm going to resign and leave you behind Mm -hmm. so to me it's interesting to note that the following sequence this is izzy attempting to be blackbeard because Mm -hmm. izzy's like i'm gonna be the one to get us out of this um, yeah, he hauls. Go ahead. 
Oh yeah, no, and that and that it's it's set up as like, oh yeah, Steve, this is your chance to be like Blackbeard, but really this is Izzy trying to assume command and get us out of the situation. But back to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so steed is put in kind of an impossible situation where they're like there's three spanish ships coming what are we going to do you're blackbeard you're in charge you're in charge and he's just just like we could talk to them and blackbeard's like okay do you speak spanish and he's like oh no i don't and so they're trying to (laughs) perhaps they understand ecclesiastical latin But they do have someone on board that speaks Spanish. I know. They have Jim. But I don't think Steed's been paying good enough attention to know that Jim speaks Spanish. Because Jim has only started speaking again. But, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will find out later that Olu also speaks Spanish. So, that's two. Whoops. Mm -hmm. I don't think they could have got out of it. Yeah. Even if they had people that spoke Spanish. But, um... It, it comes down to it where it's like, oh, no, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. Because but that's Lucia when Lucia shows in. back up counting down. He's like 15, 14, 13. And, and Blackbeard has timed this perfectly that the fog's going to roll in because he read it in the clouds earlier that looked like Frankfurters. And he's pulled off this brilliant amazing escape because because of the tide and the moon and it being a full moon they're going to be able to escape no sweat easy peasy lemon squeezy but it's really difficult difficult lemon difficult (laughs) (laughs) and something that felt very steed to me in this moment as when blackbeard's plan isn't going to come off flawlessly without a hitch he gives up immediately that if it's not mm-hmm. perfect, I don't want it. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I was about to say, Blackbeard has not accounted for it being leap day, and his plan is one day off. He needed a full moon to pull it off. Although technically, Megan says, pushing up her glasses, <laughs> the year 1717 was not a leap year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. It's a fairy tale. The full moon can be here whenever she wants. So, uh, Ed suggests that everyone who can swim, go overboard, swim away. He's going to be the captain that goes down with the ship. He's going to go down below and get drunk. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and Steed joins him and brings his lighthouse painting down to kind of sit and reflect about his life. And they both have the same idea at the same time because they're talking about, Steed's talking about, I was supposed to be a lighthouse for my family and it, I'm supposed to be the strong pillar. And to Blackbird's God, like, that's stupid. You're yeah, you're supposed to avoid lighthouses. Like, if there's a lighthouse, you're going to run aground. And they both realize it's dark and foggy enough. They can rig something up to look like a lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy enough that it just might work. We need to be a lighthouse. They say it together. Listen, they're so on the same page. And I'm not saying that there's no one in the world who could possibly understand them, but it's such a great first episode where it's so clear that they connect with each other, they understand each other. While they don't have the same experience, they are both going through the same set of emotions of, you know, like distaste and discomfort. Discomfort in a married state, I think, refers to Steed as well as Ed. 
Um, but mm-hmm. they uh, they set up their lighthouse rig, and because gut-stabbed Steed can't climb the rigging, they hoist him up. And, uh, yeah, they, they set up a, a lighthouse rig where... Okay, and I, I love the the tr- the absolute trust Steed just has already, where Ed hands him the alcohol, and he says, okay, take a big drink, don't swallow it. And Steed's like, okay, and he just holds it in his mouth. Why? For what reason? And then Blackbeard's like, spit it into the lantern. Reese Darby, this great moment of, like, mouthful. <laughs> but he, he does it anyway, because Blackbeard, I think, is the most charismatic person that we've met so far that he could ask anyone to do this stuff, and they would do it. I'm not saying it's a Steed unique thing, but yeah. Yep. And uh, Wee John makes a foghorn noise, and it does work. The Spanish are, are fooled, and they're like, oh, Blackbeard's gotten the best of us again. And everyone's very excited. And I this next scene, I adored, because I feel like Blackbeard really, like, he's intrigued by steed and has seen a lot of things about steed but here he gets to know and understand who steed is Mm -hmm. because they're up in the crow's nest i guess i don't know watching the sunrise come up eating marmalade and blackbeard they're still has they've swapped clothes they haven't they haven't swapped back you know steed's still in blackbeard's get up and vice versa and Steve's like, oh, yes, I brought a bunch of this marmalade with me. We had to get rid of some gunpowder in order to make it all work. And Blackbeard just, like, does this slow look at him of, like, and you can just see him, like, realizing what sort of man Steed is. And he's, like, the gentleman pirate. Hey, babe, take a wild guess what song is playing right now. Marmalade Skies. It's Nacien number five. Oh, <laughs> you said played at this part that's really what's happened you know the very specific song that i called out this very specific theme um do you know what i love the most about this is that clearly steed's been awake for a while because he's Mm -hmm. he's gotten someone to send up a basket of bread and marmalade Mm -hmm. but i like that blackbeard just fell asleep up here with him like Mm -hmm. i I don't know. It it felt kind of soft that they just stayed up here after the successful escape and mm-hmm. just, you know, that Steed sort of nudges him awake and he doesn't I just liked it. It was soft. I like this. I like this mm-hmm. scene a lot. Just the the dawn lighting and they finally coalesce that hey, let's not just swap clothes. Let's swap knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because Blackbeard wants to learn to be a fancy gent. Yes, he does. And Steed obviously wants to be a pirate. Yes. Uh, if you were to show me the ways of an aristocrat. So so they, they decide to do this. They shake hands on it. And Blackbeard, you know, Steed at first can't believe it. He's like, I don't think anyone has ever wanted to be more like Steed. I don't think he's ever had, you know, I don't even think his kids admire him in this way to this extent. Uh, and mm-hmm. not just to be more like Steed, to be more like sorry not just to be more like a gentleman but to actually be more like himself um you know from what we've seen of his childhood uh i don't think steed sees himself in a very good light Mm -hmm. uh one of the reasons why he was so 
sensitive to the mutiny in episode one and he even ripped that page out of the journal is he's trying to craft an image that he is this incredible gentleman pirate captain and yeah uh that's his that's his facade that's his blackbeard persona um Mm -hmm. and i think it means a lot to him that the blackbeard wants to be more like him yeah yeah uh here's the thing though it Okay, it seems like Blackbeard is plotting Steed's demise with this last conversation he has with Izzy. But I'm secretly hoping that Blackbeard is plotting Izzy's demise. Why would he kill his best friend, his right-hand man? They don't seem like friends. They seem like co-workers who have to work together. They seem like co-workers with a lot of history. Okay, okay, we're going to talk about the Izzy scene. Okay, friends. I'm not an Izzy Hands apologist. He he's not doing great in this episode, but uh, the emotion of this scene I think is really good. Izzy apologizes for what he said, and Emily, like like you said, Blackbeard starts talking about okay, what if I retired? What if the real Blackbeard is dead? And suggests that we're gonna kill Steed and have a decoy body that people will think is me. The ship will need a new captain. And we see Izzy have just a moment of like real pride in that and just real excitement that, yes, I get to be the captain. I'm not just going to be the person who cleans up your mess, but I'm going to be the number one. I'm going to be important. And then Ed, I think, clinch of death here says, I need you here. And the way that we see that hit on Con O'Neill's face, Edward's turned away at this point, but it it makes him do this little gasp and just like this relief of like, oh my gosh, he does care. He does care about me because Blackbeard doesn't care about anyone, but Izzy thinks, okay, but he cares about me. Because the plan is to kill Blackbeard, but not literally kill blackbeard kill the idea of blackbeard beard that there's going to be a body dressed in blackbeard's clothes which then the camera significantly is on steed who is in blackbeard's clothes (laughs) and the idea is that blackbeard will die quote unquote and the crew will need a new captain which will be izzy and i really think that's all izzy wants is to be a real pirate yeah and not have to like manage this celebrity. He feels more like a personal assistant than an actual pirate. Yeah, he he and I think the way that Ed talks to him is very much when he was shaking hands with the crew earlier that he's like, "Oh yeah, I recognize it's important to people to be noticed by me." Cuz at the end of this when Izzy says, "You've still got it." Ed turns around and gives him that like celebrity smile uh but then Mm -hmm. and i think this is what raised your suspicions that he may be plotting izzy's death because he very well could be Mm -hmm. when he turns back around to face camera we see the real expression on his place on his face yeah so yeah the special needle drop at the end of this episode is the empty boat by satano veloso nice Mm -hmm. soft song to wrap it up to <sighs> directed again by Nacho Vigalondo. Thank you, 
you're doing great episodes. I'm all right, Emily. We are going to talk about some historical uh, facts and fiction in this episode. Okay. The very first historical reference in this episode is the title. What was the title? Oh, the the marriage, the state of marriage, a dissolution of... in a married state. Um. So yes. again, we're going back to my Smithsonian Magazine article from a contemporary book at the time. This was actually something that was written that was theorized about why Steed Bonnet left. And it suggested that he had imbalanced humors um, due to mm -hmm. some discomforts he found in the married state. So that's interesting. That's so that's like lifted from his real life. That was lifted from his real life. Do you know what else was lifted from this real life? Did he love marmalade? No, that might be it. But <laughs> after a run-in with a Spanish naval ship, Steed Bonnet was grievously injured. His crew then came into contact with the crew of Blackbeard, uh, who seized Bonnet's command and ship, and he kept Bonnet aboard his historical ship, which was called the Queen Anne's Revenge, um, where Bonnet was allowed to recover from his injuries while Blackbeard's first mate took over Bonnet's ship with the consent of Bonnet's crew. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Did you <say> why? <laughs> no! <laughs> and um, they ended up traveling together for a significant amount of time, but I'm not going to tell you any more because, again, there are more pieces listen when i first watched this show because like i knew about captain kid blackbeard steed bonnet uh and bonnie uh you know all those all the pirate names and stuff i honestly thought this show was like oh what if we took these two greatest pirate names and what if they actually met haha <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing and then as i did more research after the show was over i realized that oh my gosh it's no, we know these two pirates actually met and interacted. This is just the what if of what would they have actually talked about. <laughs> I love that. Yep. That's amazing. That is incredible. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's probably more likely that Bonnet was a prisoner and not a guest. You know, a very mm -hmm. rich aristocratic landowner. Like, it's... It's most yeah. likely that Blackbeard was hoping to get something else out of the arrangement monetarily. But, you know, uh, I like David Jenkins's version better. <laughs> Good job, David Jenkins. Uh, so that leads us to an end on this week's episode. Next week, we will be covering season one, episode five. The best revenge is dressing well. Uh, Emily, can I get your immediate thoughts on what you think will happen? Ugh, I feel like several things could happen because there's been so many, there's been so many plot points with clothing. I mean, like they dressed the pirates up in the first season or in the first episode to fool the, the British. Jim has dressed up in order to disguise themselves. Steed introduces Blackbeard to his auxiliary closet. Like, They've swapped clothes. I, I don't know. I, I mean, at this point, you can't do much more swapping to fool people on the same boat that knows right. exactly what's going on. So I don't know. Well, will they have to dress up to fool someone else? Uh, they might have to. I just don't want the British to uh, come back. I want uh, 
Steed is going to learn I more I want everything about... to be okay. Okay, what do you think uh, parent trap lessons are going to be like between the two of them? What is Ed <laughs> going to teach Steed? What is Steed going to teach Ed? I, here's what I want to have. I want Steed to teach Blackbeard how to act at a fancy tea. Okay. How do you act at a fancy tea? Proper. <laughs> All right. Well, to, we will watch the episode next week and then we shall talk it through as a crew. Until then, I got to get back to making my dinner. I got to get back to writing my book. I believe in you. I believe in you. Ready? Break. Thank you everyone for tuning in for another episode. I cannot believe that next week we will be halfway through the season. If you want to catch more of me and Emily talking through shows and books, then this Thursday, June 30th, we'll be covering the third episode. Haha, Thursday the 30th, third episode of Roswell 1999 season two. And we'll be back for episode five of Our Flag Means Death on Tuesday the 5th. Oh my gosh, the 5th of the 5th. The stars are aligning. And then on Thursday, June 7th, we will be covering the first episode of Words of Radiance. We are finally cracking open the next brick-sized book in the Stormlight Archive. Thanks again to Michael Biancardi for use of his song, A Passing Storm, as our intro and outro. And you know what? Thank you again to friend of the pod, Ted, who came aboard for the Warbreaker special last week. Emily and I are flying out to go to Ted's wedding this weekend, and it's very exciting. So congratulations to him and his cool wife-to-be, Jenny. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you all again soon. Bye!